Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. I just want to center around a, a topic called living a Christ-centered Christ-honoring life. Living a Christ-centered, Christ-honoring life. If you don't mind, I'd like to start off with prayer. Father, it's me again. And I, I just feel at times that I just need an extra portion of love from you. And Lord God, as we begin to talk a little bit about relationships with you. I pray, Father, that you would just open ears, open understandings, and give us your grace and your mercy through this time. Bless, Lord God, each one who's come out. And we also lift up the couples overnight, that you would do a a mighty work in them as they share many truths of your scripture pertaining to husbands and wives and making their family like more like what you would have. So Father, right now we just stand before you as a vessel of honor, Lord, that you might pour into us that which you would have us to speak on and to to know and to deliver. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Living a Christ-centered, Christ-honoring life. Most people who go to church on Sundays, if they're if they're questioned point blank, one-on-one, they will say that they're a Christian. I have no doubt they will say it. I just pray they really are. We learned as human beings a lot of Christianese language to where we think we're fooling some people. But when we really get down to it, it's how we face challenges on everyday basis that really makes the difference. Know that people around you, even in your neighborhood, even especially your your family, are looking and judging you for how you act and react in different situations that you are living in. Matthew 5, 17 and 18, Jesus says, Do not think that I come to destroy the law and prophets, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth passes away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. One jot or one tittle, you might think, oh, what in the world does that mean? Well, when you think logically, that means just what it's saying, the little tiny things 
little bits and pieces of knowledge that you might find in Scripture, they won't pass away until all has been fulfilled. In other words, every prophetic word or prediction spoken of in the Scripture that is in the unadulterated Word of God will come true. The problem with many of us is that we use other well-known authors, pastors, teachers as final authorities instead of reading for ourselves and allowing the Holy Scriptures to proof text of the Scripture. The Bible will proof text itself. The problem with us is some of us are lazy, me included, and I don't read as much as I I really feel channeled to do. And I bet that's the case with most of us here. So we don't research, we don't study, we don't really get into the word as we ought to. Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen reads All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, if you read it, study it, commit to incorporate it into your life, you will profit by it. You'll be justified by it and if you stumble, you will be corrected by it. And as Scripture says in 1 John 2 and 3, about those who follow Jesus Christ, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And the only way we keep his commandments is by knowing what they are. And the only way to do that is to read to get into the Word and open ourselves up and allow the Holy Spirit to really divulge Scripture into our being and making, and we have to make a commitment to the Lord to keep them. I've heard many ministers, especially of late on the radios, preach on dispensationalism. By that I mean. They'll preach that the way things were years ago in Old Testament times is not the way it is today. And God doesn't move that way anymore. Well, I believe much of what they preach is humanistic hogwash. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he's done before... He will do, if it so suits him, he will do it today. So we can't just dismiss that and say, oh, well, he doesn't do those things anymore, so it must be the enemy doing all those things. Not necessarily. How would you define a miracle? Do you believe in miracles? 
Well, according to Tyndall's Bible dictionary definition, it's a divine act by which God reveals himself, especially to his people. The classical definition of a miracle assumes that it is contrary to natural law, but this is a misnomer for two reasons. First, many of the miracles of the Bible uses nature rather than bypasses it. Example, the opening of the Red Sea. God used the wind to perform the miracle. Not only did he blow a path, the Bible says they walked across on dry land. See, that was a miracle. Or what about in the New Testament, the wind which Jesus commanded to be still, and there was a great calm. I mean, you read that in Mark 4, 39. A great calm. Suddenly. Didn't take long. And then secondly, there no longer is a concept of absolute natural laws. Rather, a phenomenon that is not readily explainable may reflect laws that scientists do not fully understand. In Scripture, the element of faith is crucial. A natural approach cannot prove or disprove the presence of a miracle. However, in every case, God performed a miracle it was to draw attention to himself. God does a lot of things. And most of the time, it's strictly to show who he is, his power, his might, and his love for each one of us. How many of you have ever been eyewitness to a miracle? I am an eyewitness to a number of miracles performed for me and for all my family by many loving heaven, by my loving and heavenly Father. Just let me share a couple with you. I used to belong to a group called Full Gospel Businessmen. They were based in Heightstown, New Jersey. Of course, there were some of those all over Princeton. And we used to fellowship with one that was in Levittown, Pennsylvania. This is back in late 1970s. And it was custom for our group to choose one week a year and give of our time and service as many who could spare from three to five days off during the week to go up to a Christian retreat called Blue Mountain Christian Retreat. Anybody ever heard? We were around back there in the 70s, middle 70s, and this particular year, 1977, we had about seven or eight of us that went to the retreat and volunteered to do some work. We would do things from a list of things that they had, they wanted done, you know, for, to get their retreat 
grounds ready for the wintertime. This particular fall, they had just finished building two brand new apartment building houses. I guess there could have been, and I'm just guessing, but there could have been somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 20 units in each one of the buildings. And they had just finished building the major part of them, but they needed a road cut through uh, an area of wooded land about 300 feet long. And some of these trees there were anywhere from 10 to 20 feet tall. So they were decent-sized trees, and they needed some help in cutting down some of the bigger ones. Of course, most of the bigger ones had already been taken out by their staff, but they took about four or five of us, and they gave us assignments, and we got there, and we started working well. Sometimes it would be others of us, maybe some of the ladies, would be there painting or moving furniture around some of the buildings. This particular year, they needed this roadway cleared away. So we were there, and in our work group, it was my father, myself, one of my very close Christian friends, Tony, and he brought his father, Tony and his father. His father was about a couple years older than my dad, and my dad was in his maybe uh, beginning 60s, maybe middle 60s, somewhere in there. And we were working for about two or three hours, and all of a sudden, Tony's dad let out a scream, and he says, I lost my glasses. I had them on my forehead. Those of you who wear glasses, you know how sometimes you just stick them up like that and go around and do some things, because some of us are just nearsighted. So for distance, we take them off, or some of us are farsighted, and we can't read with them. We need something for closeness. But he yelled and he said, I can't find my glasses. And so we just stopped all the work and we started looking around. We must have looked about a half an hour or so and to no avail. Nobody could find it. Well, the ground we were standing on had a lot of leaves because it was just the beginning of fall. Had a lot of leaves and a lot of small twigs. So it dawned on me all of a sudden. I said, you know, we need to stop right where we are. We need to come together carefully, hold hands, and let's pray. Because it's lost to us, but the God we serve, nothing's lost to him. Nothing at all. So we got together, held hands, and each one of us took turns in praying and asking God to reveal these glasses to us. We must have prayed 15 to 20 minutes. And then, as we finished, we just stopped and we opened our eyes and Tony's dad 
let out a yell. Here they are. Right between his heels. All he did was look down and they were in plain sight. Everybody there could see them. There's no way in the world we would have missed them before. But God did what he what we asked him. He showed us where those glasses were. I call that a miracle. The following year, something else happened, which I, you know, it ranks right up there with one of the the top miracles I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of miracles in my lifetime. We traveled, 1978, we traveled to Belize. We're on a missing trip. There were 12 or 13 of us. And for 10 days, we traveled around the country of Belize, holding services, evangelist service. One time we held a service in the local prison that had maybe about 125 to 30 inmates in them. Some of them were in for robbery. Some of them, a few, were in for murder. You know, they were all hardened criminals. And we went down there and we held an evangelical service right there in the prison. But I don't have time to tell you that. Maybe one day I will. But 1978, early in the middle of the year, we went to Blue Mountain. There were a bunch of us, maybe 10 or 12 couples. My wife was there. A lot of us were there. And Judson Cornwell. Anybody know that name? I might be outdating myself because he was at least 10, 12 years older than I. But he was the speaker that night and we had a glorious time, worship and praise, and he brought forth a, a right inspiring message. So about a little before 9 o'clock, the, the meeting broke up and each one of the buildings that they have there have in the building a like a, a, a small uh, atrium or small room where if any group would like to have their own little meetings, they could go back to their, those buildings and, and hold one of those meetings. And that's what we did after we, we left the auditorium, the main auditorium. We went back to our, our housing and then we all got together and we started singing and praising and worshiping and just having a great time fellowshipping, praying one for the other. Just had a great time. Then all of a sudden, one of the women from our group started crying and weeping and and just waving her hand in the air and just just praising the Lord, and none of us knew what was going on. But her husband, and come to find out, two days prior to that day, she had had a serious accident where she broke, she severed her thumb really badly. I forgot how she said she actually did it, or even if she 
really explained it, but she was waving her hand and, and bending her thumb like this, and she says, you don't understand. Two days ago when I went to emergency, it had to be an emergency operation. The doctor there actually inserted a metal rod in her thumb to where these two knuckles could not move. The metal rod and the bandage held it straight. And the doctor wanted to hold it straight without it moving around because there was a lot of uh, small bones in there that he wanted to really mend without the movement. And she walked around like that. She said, look, I have no discomfort. She said, honestly, the rod is gone. God had dissolved the rod in her thumb. And she was able to move it around. Betty Kohler, you remember her, Carol? She was able to move it around with no discomfort whatsoever. God knows just what we need. And nobody really had lifted her up in prayer that night of our group. But God healed that infirmity in her body. That metal rod had completely dissolved. Miracle? You bet. My God is a miracle-working God. Holy Scriptures have recorded in them many accounts of miracles. And remember this, if it is recorded in Holy Scripture, you can trust it, you can believe it, but best of all, you can live your life by it. Those who lived back in biblical days, it's recorded how many times the the disciples, Peter and and a lot of the different disciples themselves prayed for people and, and people were healed. People were raised from the dead even. And God had answered their prayers. Ask and ye shall receive, says scripture. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be open unto you. So when you pray in concert with the Holy Spirit of God... <coughs> He will hear you and grant your petition. That's his promise to you. Now the problem is some of us don't like what we hear. We want it a different way. We want God to do things a little different. But your prayer is then considered effective if you pray in faith, believing And the Bible says, if you labor in prayer, then it's a fervent prayer. James 5.16 tells us that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In other words, God is moved mightily to answer such a one's petition. Why? Because our Heavenly Father loves to give his children good gifts. I like the way the psalmist puts it. In Psalm 125, 1 and 2. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. 
And I like the way King David wrote about the God he served. He wrote it in Psalms 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. In other words, if you have to fight a battle, I'd rather have God on my side than to be out to outnumber the enemy 10 to 1 on the battlefield. Because you and God are a majority. David knew firsthand that with God on his side, he would always be a winner. In other words, he could always trust and depend upon God. Therefore, you and I can trust and depend on whatever we read in the Holy Scriptures. Trust it for biblical doctrine to live by and for correction in righteousness. That's why God recorded in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show yourself approved. A workman unto God that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How can you or I rightly divide the word of truth unless we get in the word and read for ourselves? There's a verse which has caused many people much consternation, surprise, and astonishment and dismay. And that same time, to the sold-out believer giving us peace, Peace which passes all understanding. I'm speaking of Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who are the called according to his purpose. Not that all things are good, because we know it's not. But God's promise to us is that all things, whether we determine they're good or bad, all things will bring about good things for us because we're his. Never ever forget this. You are the righteousness of God and nothing will ever happen to you without God's permission. He has a purpose for everything which happens to us. So instead of asking, why is this happening? Ask the Lord, what do you want me to learn through this? His promise is found in Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Perfect peace. That means you won't get anxious. In fact, the Bible says in another verse, be anxious for nothing. But in all things, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And probably the most well-known verse, especially in Proverbs, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Trusting thoroughly in God, no matter what your circumstances in life are, will completely give you a peace and a calm spirit. And it will prove what is 
you'll read in John chapter 14, verse 27, where it's recorded, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. This causes me to remember a specific time in my family's life. It was Father's Day 2005. My wife woke up about 3 o'clock in the morning and her head was pounding, tremendous ache and pains in her head. She woke up screaming in pain. I tried to find out exactly what it was, but she could hardly have conversation with me. She walked to the, to the restroom and just continued to yell out in pain. We called the ambulance. The ambulance came and took her to Princeton Hospital. Two hours later, after the doctors were doing a lot of their things, the doctors came out to see me and said, Mr. Turner, we got to tell you, we don't know what is wrong with your wife. She seems to be in tremendous pain. Would you give me, would you give us permission to transport her to Jefferson Hospital in Philadelphia? Well, at that one time, I didn't know what the word transport they were talking about really meant. But I said, of course, yes. I figured I'd follow behind an ambulance, but it wasn't an ambulance. They drove her to off of 206, there's a small airport there, where she got on a helicopter, and they blew, flew her to downtown Philadelphia, 9th and Walnut, Hello, wife. (laughs) They flew her to Philadelphia, to Jefferson Hospital, and I hopped in my car and took off. By the time I got there, they had her already in a room. I took one look at her and I said, is that my wife? They had drilled holes in her skull They had three or four tubes coming out of her skull. They had put her in an induced coma. So she was out of it. But they continued to work on it. Remember I said it's Father's Day, so it's a Sunday. They didn't have a lot of the emergency staff there on board yet. When I arrived, I tried to speak to her, but she could not, she did not acknowledge me right away. Many hours passed, and I diligently prayed for a miracle. Yet, in retrospect, I remained at peace that whole day. And as I was recounting those minutes and hours, I realized something. 
I didn't have not one anxious moment that whole day. I was at peace. I knew she was in the Lord's hands. I knew she, no matter what happened, I was not fearful. Neither was I afraid of what might take place. The first night as God flooded my mind with his word, I remember three of many verses that he bombarded me with. John 14, 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That played over in my head. John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of, a, of love and of a sound mind. In Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Like I said, there were many, many scripture verses that just bombarded me. And each one just kept me at peace, knowing that he was in charge. I don't ever remember having even one moment of hysterics during the entire time Carolyn went through her ordeal. The many verses flooded my mind during the entire two weeks she was in the hospital when she first, that first day was there. By far the verse God over and over again reminded me was Isaiah 26.3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And I remember saying within myself, Lord, I do trust you. I trust you with the, the person I love the most. And I know she loves you. I remember many times she and I would have friends over and we knew the reason we had them over was to share our life with the Lord, with them. In the following nine months, my wife had six brain operations. The first five, they went up through the groin, through the abdomen, past the heart, right up to the brain. And they did something they call coiling and gluing. It just blew my mind when it was first explained to me what they were going to do. But what had happened to her was something that was hereditary. From childbirth, she was born with not enough capillaries in her skull to take 
the blood that was the arteries that were going up there was was pumping up there. What happens is the blood goes up there, feeds all the cells, and then as this, uh, the blood drains itself of nourishment, the veins then pick up all the used blood and takes it back to the heart to get replenished with the cells. See, and when she was born, she didn't have enough capillaries up there uh, to continue to take care of uh, her brain as it should for her entire life. And then eventually, and uh, we were told, I was told by the doctor, that this is not really an uncommon or unusual situation. A lot of people die before they get to where those uh it makes a difference. But then if they live past the age of 50, 55, things will start to build up and blood will start to build up to where it could really incapacitate the individual. After five brain operations that way, then they had, they couldn't get to the sixth one. It was just two small vessels to get up through the body and to find its way where it needed to go. So they had to open her head up completely. And it was just like a miracle that God was rotting in, in, and doing in her body. The person who is her surgeon, we come to find out later, was the number one surgeon for that kind of brain operation on the entire East Coast. It just so happened that it was his rotation to take my wife. Coincidence. I like to think it was God's anointing on her that caused that rotation to come up when she needed it. See, our God really is concerned. Now, he could have taken any surgeon and done the work through him, but our God was so meticulous that he made sure that the right surgeon was there at the right time. You can trust him. You can really trust the Lord to do the do the best for his children. And now you say to me, Brother Sam, how does Romans 8.28 fit into that? How does it show itself in this situation? Well, I'm glad you asked that. She was 62 years of age at that point. And see, what she went through was not of her own making. Like I said, it was hereditary. And if medical help was not received quickly as it was, it would have been fatal. She would not have survived. As it was, we found out 
and I guess I said that already. Carolyn's stay in the hospital was over, was our opportunity to share Christ and God's promises to many people while she was in the hospital. If any of you really know her, you know that she likes to talk. And her number one topic is her Lord. Like I said earlier, she'll spend hours with her granddaughter and 90% of their conversation will be about the Lord and how she needs to learn how to communicate with other children her own age because at, at 12 years of age, you know probably the number one topic is... Boys. And if you're not careful, if as a mother, you don't take the time to really educate your young ones about how you can so quickly let situations get out of hand, especially girls. You know, they could be in for some trouble. So that's why Carol will take the time to share with her granddaughter. Questions. How did this all work to our good? This traumatic deficit that she had for a moment. How did all that work to her good? Well, one number one, she had had no, to this day, she shows no appreciable deficit of brain malfunction. And that's her husband talking. <laughs> number two, God restored the love for my wife for over a dozen extra years. 19, uh, 2005, I could have lost her. But God restored her to good health. And although she just, six months ago, she just had hip replacement, but I know there's many in this body who have had knees, hips, and all kinds of things. So a lot of you will understand what a person will go through having those things done. And together we have seen a number of people set free of bondage, healed of infirmities, and many have come to a deeper relationship with the Lord through our sharing, our shared witness and testimony But you say, Brother Sam, you have a calling on your life. Yes. And so do you. And so do you. Everyone who has named the name of Jesus has a calling on your life. And most of us, the calling means that we share our testimony every opportunity we have. 
we encourage those we meet to seek and find who your Lord really is. And ask him on a regular basis, Lord, show me your way. Teach me your path. Encourage me to read your word that I might be approved the workman unto God. Acts 10, 34 and 35 says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The Revised Standard Version reads, God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Lesson learned number one. Seek to know and understand your calling. 1A. 1B. Follow your calling You will never know the full joy of the Lord unless you get fully engaged in calling God. Engaged in your calling God has on your life. Once you get fully engaged in in the calling that God has for your life, your life will take on new meaning and new understanding. It will blossom and bloom. Lesson learned number two, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. You are not your own, you've been bought with a price. What is the price? The precious blood of Jesus. What he did by sacrificing his life that you might know his father in heaven. Lesson learned number three, Fear comes, fear kills faith, but faith kills fear. That is why scripture tells us over and over and over again, fear not, be anxious for nothing. Seldom does God give us a get out of situation spirit. Most of the time, he gives a, more than not, he will give us a go through the situation spirit. And as we go through, we learn things. We get stronger and stronger. We build up our faith and we're able to face whatever the world throws at us. And believe me, nobody escapes. We all have things we have to face and conquer and get through and get over. First, he'll do things in us, meaning he will change us and change our thinking to be more in step with his thinking. Secondly, he'll do things through us. We become his instruments 
and he will begin to trust us and use us as his vessels. And thirdly, he'll do more things for us. So he'll do things in us, he'll do things through us, and he'll do things for us. All three of these steps may happen quickly. Or God may use others to bring about each phase, but no prayer by those who love him will ever go unanswered. So living a Christ-centered, Christ-honoring life begins by yielding our will to his. And when our will becomes in concert with his, we'll be able to follow Philippians 2 and 5 in our life, which says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Can we make that commitment to the Lord this morning? Can you seek to find the mind of Christ as we read his word, as we lay our hearts at the altar for for God to do some mighty works in us? Can we make that commitment to our Heavenly Father today? I encourage you to make that commitment today and let the mind of Christ solidify your relationship with a Heavenly Father who so loved the you and all that's in the world that he sent his only son to die on a cross that you may have the right to have your sins completely washed clean. Would you think on that as we close our eyes in prayer and thank you. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.